came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. This whole time it's been recording? Tell him that that long black cloud is coming down. <laughs> All right, guys. Knock, knock, knocking on <laughs> You might say that, or you might say that's another smooth one from us at the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house tonight. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Hello, everybody out there. And we would like to take a moment or two, you know, just to remember the late, great Stan Lee tonight. And, uh, you know, we're just going to get into that for a little bit. Break down the man, the myth, the legend. Now... I'm honestly asking, how are you guys doing? Because it's been a while. It has been, huh? It took a couple of weeks off. Thanksgiving in there, Friendsgiving. Yeah. You guys have a good holiday? <laughs> you could say that. Uh, you know. Hey, you went away for a bit, huh? Went away, and I'm back from outer space. Um, and, you know. Guess who's back? What about you guys? I asked you guys the question. Hey, man, I'm doing great, honestly. I'm conflicted. Adam, nothing. I'm conflicted. Girl problems, as usual. Always. I got 99 bitches, and they're all a problem. Well, you know, this might be more appropriate for next week's episode when we're talking about ghosts. I thought it was, I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got 99 problems, and they're all bitches. No, I, I got think... 99 bitches, and they're all a problem. <laughs> You're Guys, unbelievable. please, bitches is derogatory. That's true. Me too. You're looking like Adam Thielen over there with the purple bandana. Dude. You like that? Prison yeah. Mike. Prison Adam. <laughs> it's no secret. It's no secret that this podcast is brought to you by Pamp Coffee. That's P-A-M-P Coffee, guys, and they're local. They're here from San Diego. Some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life. Well, do you guys agree? It's up there. It's up there. It's up there. So I want to see some decaf, but... Ooh, I do like there. that idea. It's up there. Well... If you guys want to check them out, it's etsy.com slash shop slash pamp coffee. One more time, that's P-A-M-P, motherfuckers. Check them out. Buy some coffee. And, you know, they're always doing great things out here in San Diego. So, you know, if you're feeling feeling in the mood for some coffee, go ahead and grab yourself some. Now, it's been a while, but we're back again. And, you know, I had been planning to do this episode for a while because... You know, we dabble in comics from time to time. Just a bit. That's safe to say, a little right? dabbling. I think we had a whole month where every episode. Yeah, and with, you know, the recent passing of Mr. Stan, we figured, hell, uh, this is as good a time as ever. Um, so we pressed through this research over the vacation, I might, I mind you. I might add. And we are here to deliver another Life in Times episode. Uh, as we get into the one and only Stan Lee, the most famous figure in the comic industry. Figure, if you might say. Um, so we are going to be taking you through Stan's early childhood, his rise in the world of comics, uh, how he became Marvel Comics' primary creative leader for two decades, and the trials and failures of taking the company from a small division of a publishing house to a multimedia corporation that dominates the comic and entertainment industry to this day. Now, is there a chance you could plug in? I know he wanted Stan at the end, but maybe you could plug in that like in the background. 
Uh, no, I'm not going to play Eminem's Stan over <laughs> Stan not Lee. over in the background. Yeah, okay, that's, that's well. in the background. Okay, here's an idea. Okay. Okay. Now, why do you want that? You think Stan Lee is nothing but a fanboy? Uh, well, we're fanboys of Stan Lee. So this then we would be Stan. That's that's opposite. That's a compl- that's a total disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. So we got a site, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe, uh, Excelsior, Excelsior, the, Am- <laughs> the Amazing Life of Stan Lee, which is his autobiography, written in two thousand two. So this is six years before Marvel would become the powerhouse in the movie industry that it, we know it as today and the documentary with great power the stanley story also in 2010 so again a lot of this stuff was covered before marvel became uh, as popular as it is today i'd say you know i'm honestly excited to see what they do after his passing because i feel like they're going to do something really cool now yeah although in all my research so how about this? Here's a little spiel for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think of Stan Lee, I mean, what comes to mind? Like, if you had to sum up Stan Lee just right off the dome, because I know that you two guys didn't read much of this. So, <laughs> right off the dome, what are we saying about Stan? What is your thoughts, opinions of him? What do we know about him right off the bat? Let so me answer that. your question with a question. You're saying... <clears throat> Marvel doesn't become a powerhouse until 2008, right? Well, I mean, after. 2008 is when Iron Man with John Favreau started. That's when they MCU came about. Uh, that's when we get all the fucking, you know, it becomes popular culture. Okay, but do you, like, what, all right, this kind of ties into what you're saying, though. Like, what was the first really Marvel movie you remember seeing? That I remember seeing? Well, you robbed myself. The Captain America, nineteen ninety one. Okay, that's you too, then. I guess I think when I think of Stanley, though, I definitely think more of like Spider Man, Iron Toby Man, McGuire, Spider Man, The Incredible Hulk. Get that off your head. <laughs> <laughs> now, so no, you're telling me what you think of. I want to know who yeah, you said. <laughs> what do you think of motherfucker? No, no, yeah. He said he's right. <laughs> no, but I mean, Stanley himself, like what, what, uh, what do you know about him? If anything, I think back to high school when the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out. Yeah. And you just think this is the guy that made the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man uh, cameo. Doesn't yeah. He? That's when he first starts making the cameos, right? Okay. So he's just the creator of Spider-Man. Well, team. Spider, Whoa, I just dropped a bunch of names on you. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, that's what you think of him as, right? Hey, this guy basically invented Marvel as we know it. Yeah, he's the powerhouse behind all of it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, see, I think also like our generation. I mean, it's no secret we weren't big like comic book nerds. I would say growing up. Yeah. Because we were kind of more raised on uh, cartoons, animated series, I'd say. Perfect tens. I mean, X-Men, the animated series was our shit, right? X-Men, Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's both Marvel. But, um, you know, when you think of Stan Lee, like I always just thought Stan Lee basically invented Marvel single-handedly. Yeah. Um, well, I found out in a lot of this research, that's not the case. Um, he kind of fell into this. I mean, he did 
He is credited with a lot of um, revolutionary comic characters, but a lot of those were co-created, and he kind of became this bigger-than-life figurehead, if you will. Um, And we're going to find out through this episode just how that came about. Okay. So let's get into it. I mean, we're going to hop all the way back. December 28th, 1922. The same year that our apartment was built. (laughs) When it won, Stanley Martin Lieber was born in New York City in the borough of Manhattan. Manhattan, pal, you want to give me a ride? He was born in the apartment of his Romanian-born Jewish immigrant parents, Celia and Jack Lieber. Now, that's an Ellis Island name if I ever heard one. Now, his dad, Jack, was dress cutter by trade. Uh, But due to the Depression in 1929, he often worked odd jobs and never had truly steady work or any sort of career. And Stan, you know, he saw this and he saw the quote-unquote demoralizing effect this had on his dad. And this ingrained in Stan a drive and mindset that having meaningful work is one of the most important things you can have in life. Mm. Uh, Stan's childhood... You know, I'm assuming it was pretty hard at times. Um, they never had too much money. It said his uh, his mom and dad actually slept on the pullout couch. Now, if they really did that, Stan would never have been born. Well, they slept on the pullout couch, and him and his brother shared a room. So this was after he was born. Well, his dad didn't realize how to pull out until <laughs> after. Until after. <laughs> um, and... You know, he said his his parents were great and all, but he he always regretted that they never had happier lives. Mm. Um, He said some of his earliest um, recollections of his parents are them fighting most often about money. And this would again play into Stan's mindset and upbringing of never wanting to worry about money. And it would play into the drive that led him to become the figurehead that he was. Now, Stan himself... Avid reader as a kid, um, says when he first learned how to read, he would read everything he could get his hands on. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, always had a book in his hand. Says he, to this, to the day he died, felt uncomfortable if he was eating and not reading. Mm. Now, I kind of wish I could eat and read because I always take breaks from reading to eat. Yeah, I would get sick if I was trying. It's like like when you're driving in a car and trying to read. Yeah. Not driving in a car, but if you're in the car trying to read. Now, you've tried that, to drive a car and read a book? No. That's what what audiobooks are for, guys. Come on. Now, um, Stan cited one of... I'm just thinking of Rob driving, listening to audio comic books. Pow! Zap! Now, Stan cited one of his early favorites as the Hardy Boys. And with his love of reading, Stan always dreamed that someday he would write the great American novel. Uh, Stan was always a bit of an outsider in school. Because of the Depression, he was pushed through school early. Um, I guess this was like common with kids of his age, like in order to graduate and work parents would just like push their kids through school at a very early age so they could like start bringing home some paychecks so it's kind of like now they'll just push you through man oh you showed up once a month here's a here's a diploma yeah basically (laughs) i mean probably a lot easier back then maybe right you think (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man um you know so stan himself 
He said he always had a part-time job while going through school. Uh, he was always younger than his classmates. And also, while most kids went away to camp for the summer, Stan was left alone in the city, um, and he was stuck to getting lost in his books and movies. Uh, eventually, Stan started picking up the likes of H.G. Wells, Mark Twain, little Edgar Allen. Ooh, spooky. Uh, and some Charles Dickens. And although Stan said he's not really a religious type, he loves the writing style of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we all know Moses was one hell of a writer. I had one hell of a style. And he always wore red socks. <laughs> so he's a big fiction guy. Yep. Uh, he says, <laughs> well, Stan said he actually cited the Bible and Shakespeare as having considerable effects on his own writing in his later years on Norse gods, magicians, and philosophers from outer space. Also, I would love to see, and maybe it's already out there, like a comic version of the Bible. Now, I think I had one of those growing up. Well, ask mom if she still has it and she'll, she'll send it to you. It might be in my old bookshelf. I remember it was specifically of David and Goliath. It was the tale of David and Goliath. We familiar? Little man, big man, one rock to the dome. Shot him right in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was like illustrated like a comic book. Mm. It had all the onomatopoeia and all that jazz. Just hit up your boy Tim Tebow, dude. He's probably got a whole stash. He might, of them. dude. That'd be bad. Dude, I'm sure there's a Bible comic book. You, gotta you just got to look it up. All right, all right, all right. I'll get you some for Christmas. Thank <laughs> you. Now, also, similar to a lot of other authors we discuss, um, Stan dabbled in his own writing at a very young age. He won a few newspaper contests, and in his early teens, he even held a part time job writing obituary notices for a news service. Although he found this to be much too depressing and gave it up. Yeah, I don't blame him, man. That's you're talking to me about giving an obituary right now. Imagine doing oh, I a eulogy. Do it. That's different than an obituary. Similar, dude. You're now, still dealing talking about <laughs> dead people. That's morbid as fuck. Now, uh, later in Stan's teen years, so we're getting into his late teens now. Um, it was around this time he writes this in his autobiography that he lost his virginity. <laughs> to the daughter of a candy store proprietor. Rob, you were there. And he says one of the greatest regrets is not being able to remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> now it was awesome. Now he says this isn't because it wasn't good or anything. He says just for the life of him can't remember her name. And she's going to be one of those mystery. The one that got away, I'm guessing, from mm. Stan. She'll never know. He'll never know her name. It's like that Hank Williams song, OD'd in Denver, and I just can't remember her name. <laughs> yep, except it was a candy store owner's daughter. Can you cue like candy shop or something right there? <laughs> Stan took to her the to the candy, candy shop. <laughs> <laughs> the Dan Band version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so seductive. <laughs> so Stan's taking chicks to the candy shop. Now, uh, growing up, Stan always wanted to be an actor. Aside from writing a novel, said he always wanted to be an actor, and his first hero was Errol Flynn. Now, do you guys know this son of a bitch? I'm guessing he probably bangs chicks out in candy stores. <laughs> well, actually, here, I mean, if you saw a picture of him, you'd know. Tell me you haven't seen the, this. The guy. name sounds familiar. He's a swashbuckler. Oh, yeah, he looks like um, it's a mustache. Yeah, from back in the day. Uh, he was in 
he starred in The Seahawk, directed by Michael Cortez, one of the greatest directors of all time. <laughs> Why aren't you directing 2010, Stanley? And, uh, I mean, if you actually want some crazy shit, because when I was doing this, I started going down the rabbit hole. Because we see why Stan's banging out young girls in the back of the candy shop. Young girls? Now, yeah. He's legally, young. He's young, though, right? Yeah, Stan's very young. But Errol Flynn, this guy apparently had sex with over 40,000 women in his life. Jesus He used Christ. to um, put a dap of cocaine on the tip of his penis before he would have sex with women. Hey, man. He's caught numerous uh, statutory rape cases. <laughs> I think he even like- Any owned, of them stick, though? Uh, no, none of them stuck. He got off on Because he's a swashbuckler. And You're this was back in the 40s. The cocaine, right? <laughs> or it's the 40s. Well, look at Leo now. And, guys, he owned slaves at one point. Stanley? No, Errol Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm messy. Uh, but this guy's life is crazy. I mean, just we could probably do an entire episode on this guy. I kind of want to now. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but yeah. It sounds like you did a lot of research on this guy. I did because I started going down the hole. Um, just so did like, he. Yep, just like Stan on in the, the candy Ready shop. To go. Um, so Stan held, he said his favorite job in his later teen years was at the Rivoli Theater in Times Square. Um, he was an usher, said he loved this job because he got to see all the movies for free. Mm, got um, a lot of candy. And, you know, so this time he's he's graduated. Uh, I think he graduated at like 16 or something. Um, he's a young lad. And as far as comics go, Stan really just kind of fell into working in the comic industry. Me too. Uh, with, the help, with the help of his uncle, Robbie Solomon. In 1939, Stan became an assistant, uh, started off as almost an errand boy. He didn't just run up and claim his own office? No, he, he was no um, sh- shmuel. <laughs> he just started off as an errand boy, uh, you know, running around, taking care of whatever they needed. Grabbing some coffee. Um, started off at the newly formed Timely Comics Division of Pulp Magazine, which was a division of Martin Goodman's company, Newsstand Publications Incorporated. Now, Timely is what would go on to evolve into Marvel Comics, but we'll get there. Now, in that time, Time Stan starts working here. Um, You know, you had like Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, who we talked about in our Captain America episode. Check that one out if you haven't already. They had already made Captain America. So, you know, superheroes, they weren't anything like new. I mean, you had Superman, Batman, uh, DC was like killing the game. Um, And all comics needed a sort of two-page filler to be able to be sold as comics. Um, And they had Stan write this because basically nobody else wanted to do it. Uh, you know, all these old guys drawing and penning the um, dialogue. They just didn't want to do it. So Stan did it. You know, it's figured this would be good practice for his novel. Um, so with his childhood ambition to be a writer, young Stanley Lieber made his comic book debut with the text filler that appeared, Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge. Great title. In Captain America Comics, issue number three, in May of 1941. Now, he used the pseudonym Stan Lee to save his actual name for that big novel. It's like a novel guy. <laughs> it's like you working on t-shirt designs, buddy. Yep. Made a pseudonym, save his real name for the, <laughs> that big t-shirt design. <laughs> big t-shirt reveal coming up soon. 
<laughs> now, uh, Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, they eventually quit following a dispute with Goodman due to payment rights disputes. Um, basically, they were getting fucked. It's like Rob when he worked at AT&T. Yep. They were getting underpaid on the Captain America comic. And um, the 30-year-old publisher said, Stan is now the new interim editor. Um, they said, hey, Stan. Uh, hey, Stan. Stan. You're going to go ahead and be a stand-in until a stand we can find in. someone else, uh, which they never really did. So around the age of 19, Stan is head editor. Uh, he's basically doing everything at Timely Comics. And so now it's late 1941. And uh, what happens around this time, guys? No secret. No secret. Germany wants to take over the world. <laughs> America is going to war, guys, and uh, so is Stan. Now, he was no Marion Cooper. He wasn't out there slitting the throats of the Japanese. Uh, he was no Gene Roddenberry out there crashing planes. <laughs> um, Stan enlisted in the United States Army in early 1942 and served within the U.S. as a member of the Signal Corps. Uh, he would repair telegraph poles and other communications equipment. Um, he was then transferred to training film division and became classified as a playwright, one of nine people in World War II to have their MOS playwright. Um, of them, most notable, probably Theodore Geisel. Um, do we know who that is? Sure don't. That's Dr. Seuss. Oh. oh. <laughs> Another so, uh, San Diego legend. Yeah. So uh, here he worked uh, writing manuals, training film slogans, and occasionally cartooning. And one of his favorite things he worked on was a VD ad. All <laughs> 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 uh, that candy. That or I guess it'll be. Sugar. I guess it'll be an anti-VD ad. He says he had to pin the soldier because I guess like oh this was like a big thing in World War II. It was just soldiers going off, banging random French girls, Coors. um getting VD. And they had these outposts all over their camps with a green light so they could spot it. So Stan draws a soldier walking in there. At the top, he said, VD, not for me. <laughs> and, uh, Can we please make that a shirt? Uh, great poster. We could just print the poster on a shirt that Stan made. Now, while in the Army, Stan received letters. He never stopped working for the comic industry. This is interesting. So he's getting double paid. One for Uncle Sam, pulling the old one-two on Uncle Sam. Um, he received letters every week on Friday from the editors at Timely saying, hey, this is what we need. This is when we need it by. Um, so he'd write the story and send it back by Monday. Yes, sir. I'm down in the mailroom. <laughs> in one week. <laughs> and, you know, this was the kind of pattern he would take. And apparently one time the mail clerk overlooked his letter Said, hey, it's not in the mailbox. He said, This is this is not this is not like timely comics. They're not living up to their name. I don't see the Girdwin file anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he did a Euro trip quote. <laughs> That's a Euro trip quote. Oh my God. <laughs> so he waltzed his ass down to the mailroom, saw the letter in the mailbox, and said, What the hell? What the hell are you doing? 
my letter's right there. The guy wouldn't let him open it. This So Stan breaks into the fucking mailroom, gets the letters, um, you know, puts the thing back, and mails off his letter. Apparently somebody saw him doing this and turned him in, snitched on him. Mm. Wow, we got a fucking rat. And the mailroom officer... Yeah, yeah, the mailroom officer saw him, snitched on him, fucking rat. Uh, He told the base captain, who apparently didn't like Stan, wasn't a big fan of him. And Stan actually faced very serious tampering charges, which were a felony offense. He was almost sent to Leavenworth Prison. But luckily, the colonel in charge of the finance department intervened and saved Stan because, hey, they needed guys to write these training videos. Now, did they know that Stan is from Montauk? Uh, Stan is not from Montauk. He's from Manhattan. Manhattan? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I might be from Manhattan, but I don't want no freaking rats in my battalion, you know? So what are you getting at? He was connected with the family? Yeah. <laughs> Stan? <laughs> Little Stan? Nah, he was an errand boy. Um, so yeah, this, this colonel, he saves him. And um, after the war, so Stan's discharged. Uh, the war ends. Stan's sent home. Say, get the hell out of here. You made some great training videos for us. Um, and after the war, Stan... Sounds like the end of a porn career. Gets married. Uh, exactly. Uh, so he met Joan, a British lady who was a hat model. <laughs> <laughs> Is that funny? A hat model. Yeah, she was a hat model. Oh, my God. I'm going to find a red-headed, left-handed hat model. And apparently, she was already married. Been she, there. Like, came, she married this guy to come to the United States, divorced him. Stan, Mr. Steal Your Girl. He takes her <laughs> up. Um, took he, her, he took her to the candy shop. <laughs> yeah, too, but. Took her to the candy shop, and he remembered her name this time. Uh, he moved out to Long Island, uh, took his old job back at Timely. Uh, they had one daughter, little Joan, and they actually had another daughter, Jan, who only lived uh, to be seven days old. Lovely, lovely, lovely Jan. Yep, she passed away. And now stands back at his old job. And this is when uh, Marvel Comics sort of started to develop as what it's known as today, you know? This was when Marvel Comics, just in general, started to develop out of Timely. Um, This was known as the bullpen era, as uh, the offices where they worked became known as the bullpen. And this was like Stan started, like, giving credit to the drawers and everybody in the writing room because he was like, hey, like, I'm not the only one doing work here. Like, yeah, I'm writing the stories, but these guys are doing all the drawings and stuff. So True team player. Yeah. Um, so that became known as the bullpen, and there was a ton of early greats who all got their start at Marvel. And Stan's approach became the silent film approach, which was to do nothing mildly. Um, when he was writing comics, everything was extremely exaggerated. Um, and this is also around the time where he kind of became the Hugh Hefner of the comic industry. I mean, he starts wearing shades inside. Robe uh, pipe. Yeah, you know, he starts taking on the whole playboy of the nerds. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hanging out at the candy shop even more. <laughs> yeah. And um, Stan, for the most part, 
as I said, you know, he was a writer. He was penning the dialogue. and Oh, he was penning something. This is when, yeah, he started to give everybody fair credit. And this is when Stan also started the Mary Marvel Marching Society. The MMM. The MMMS. Um, this was in order to interact, uh, be more personal with the readers so they could get to know the folks behind the work. Um, he didn't want, you know, dear editor. He wanted the people reading the magazine. He wanted the kids to interact with them. He wanted them to know them by name, uh, know what was going on in their lives. And just as everything is starting to look like, hey, this is going to be pretty good. This We're selling comics, you know, everything's starting on the up and up. It's starting to look okay. Comes along Dr. Verheim. We familiar? These comics are rotting the mind. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. So this guy basically set out to demonize comics. Um, he said they were corrupting youngsters. Uh, said they were causing asthma <laughs> because kids were staying inside reading them. They weren't getting outside into the fresh air. Um, we actually have a clip. Yeah, we wouldn't want kids reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, listen to this clip because I, I honestly want to get you guys' opinion on this. This is from, this is not from Dr. Wareheim, but same um, thing. This was around this time. Now, just listen to this clip. This was a show that actually aired on cable TV, like 60 Minutes. When I was a boy and played with the gang, we did a lot of things. We roasted potatoes and went on expeditions. We tipped over garbage cans now and then. We wrote nasty remarks about the teacher on the sidewalk. But we never spent an afternoon sitting around like this, reading. What a wonderful thing this would be if they were reading something worthwhile, something that would stimulate their desires to build and to grow. But they're not reading anything constructive. They're reading stories devoted to adultery, to sexual perversion, to horror, to the most despicable of crimes. So there's this is a whole clip. This is like uh, it's called Confidential File, uh, horror comic books, uh, and this is a, this was a 25 minute piece this guy did on basically just how comics are demonizing the youth. I mean, what are we thinking? You know, this is the thing, the same as everything. They just moved the goalposts. We got <laughs> video games nowadays, um, hip hop. Uh, you know, it's all corrupting the youth. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were sitting around reading those magazines, but they weren't comic books, that's for sure. I mean, skate magazines. Perfect it, 10, it could be a bowling. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> and like, it just feels like not just people, but even like animals and everything nowadays, like everybody's got to be gluten free. Everybody's allergic to like, all this shit that like was not a problem 50 years ago. It blows my mind, man. Society as a whole is softened. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're not like this guy's literally saying that kids reading this stuff, they're going to start. There's a segment in there Maybe. where he's saying the kids reading this is going to pick up a rock and bash his friend's head in because he they can't distinguish reality from fiction. Uh, it's now, who was paying this clown? God forbid we want our kids reading. <laughs> yeah, who is the mastermind behind this guy? Whose puppet is he? I have no idea, but can you, well, it w he was with some senator, so probably oh, the, exactly. some form exactly. of government. But what I'm saying is, can you imagine if that guy heard, like, um, what's a fucking 
Imagine we play some Chief Keef for that guy. Yep. His head would explode. <laughs> show, show him some Fortnite. Can you just imagine play him literally? Of Chief Keef. <laughs> and his head just explodes like the bit in uh, Chappelle's show with the KKK. <laughs> literally, any show that's on TV nowadays is yeah. pretty much described in what he said the comic book is. Exactly, mm. exactly. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, Video games nowadays are demonized, uh, hip-hop, punk music, you know? I mean, it's like Triple X said. Come on. It's the only education we got. (laughs) 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 Am I right or am I right? I mean, how much stuff did you learn from reading those porno mags? Oh, not very much. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I know came from videos and Rob. Okay, so... Um, with this whole demonization thing, um, we get the Comic Magazine Association of America, and thus the Comic Code was born. And basically, you couldn't sell a book without this seal. Now, according to this Comic Code, we want to—we're um, each going to pick out a little bit, and we're going to read you from some of the guidelines that they have to follow. Um, some of the general standards. Crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, because the justice system is fucking 100% foolproof. Am I right, guys? Exactly right. Or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. No comic shall explicitly present the unique details and methods of a crime. Well, can we talk about that one? Think about this, and I've thought about this before, and I would love to hear your thought. This whole, like, look, so if we don't tell kids how to do these bad things, maybe they don't do them. Think about this, like some sick motherfucker at some point in time had to think, like, oh, I'm going to cut someone's Achilles and do some weird shit to their body afterwards. Like, how does that idea come around, you know? Well, Do you um, you think someone just thought of that one day and then went out and did it? Like... Or did they have to? It's like the chicken and the egg. Well, hey, maybe a lot of it is from um, Stan, one of Stan's favorite pieces, the Bible. Mm. Um, take a look at the Crusades, you know, the First and Second Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, a lot of sick fucks out there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sick stuff. I mean, this goes back as far as humankind. It's human nature. I mean, mm. cavemen bashing each other's brains. So in. you're saying that, like it has nothing to do with comic books or video games yeah. or music. This is all ingrained in us. Oh, 100%. Okay. People always just want something to blame. They want a scapegoat, mm. an easy scapegoat. I mean, yeah, maybe this stuff plays a little bit into it, but you can't demonize an entire industry for the acts of a few bad apples. <laughs> Fuck this industry. <laughs> I mean, am I right or am I right? I mean, just look at some of this stuff. Uh, no comic magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way to create disrespect for the established authority. I like that. All lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. Now, who are these guys to decide what's lurid and unsavory and Good gruesome? and evil, yep, yep, yep. Exactly. That's just, you know, anybody could say that. Big brother. Um, Scenes <laughs> dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead torture Vampires and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism. How about are this prohibited. one? Divorce shall not be treated humorously. 
nor be represented as desirable. I'd like to put that guy in a fucking time travel machine, send him to today's. I wouldn't. I'd rather He'd switch fucking spots. explode, dude. Okay, so Comic Code is born, 54. I mean, guys, let's Come be on. honest. Racism did still exist. Sales at this point plummeted. Um, Stan had to inform his staff that they were let go. So he didn't ghost them? No. Uh, by this point, Stan is in his 30s. Um, he's making the most kiddie shit of all time due to this stupid code. Uh, Stan was basically saying, hey, I'm going to quit and maybe try to write that novel. You know, just as Rob said before, he said, fuck this industry. Bitch, I'm in the streets. Uh, and uh, like they say, behind every great man is a woman. Or a man. And... Uh, <laughs> Joan, it's Joan, Stan's wife, who encouraged Stan by saying, hey, Stan, listen, why don't you do one more, just one more comic the way you want to do it, aimed at young adults, you got nothing to lose, you're quitting anyways, do this comic for yourself, and if it doesn't sell, who gives a rat's ass? And she said all of this while only wearing a hat. So Stan embarked on writing about his heroes aimed at kids and adults, giving his superheroes a flawed humanity, uh, changed from the typical archetypes that were written for preteens. Because, you know, before this, most superheroes were idealistically perfect people. Uh, they didn't have serious or lasting problems. And thus, Stan wrote Fantastic Four issue number one in 1961. And this is when the modern age and Stan as we knew and remember him in modern times started. Because while Stan was working for Goodman, like before Marvel split off and became its own thing, um, he was always following the trend, he said. Like that guy Martin um, that ran Timely Comics, he would literally look at Reader's Digest, see what was selling, and then they would just make ripoffs of that. Stan said, you know, he was never about that. He just did what the boss said, but he always wanted to make something that was, you know, he wanted to be set in the trend. And um, in 1961, Marvel Comics made its debut, um, and for the first time, um, personality was added to the superhero. He wanted to humanize them. You know, hey, not all of them like their powers. They've got insecurities. Mm. Uh, Stan introduced complex, naturalistic characters who could have bad tempers, um, fits of melancholy, vanity. Infinite sadness. Yep. They bickered amongst themselves, worried about paying their bills, impressing girlfriends, got bored, um, were sometimes ill. These guys got emotions, just like the reader. And hey, guess what else Stan did? They live right there in New York City. Hometown heroes. You know, they're not in some fictional, um, what, Metropolis or Gotham. Metropolis? They're right there in New York, you know, palling around in the five boroughs. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> we got some heroes out here. Hey. hey. Is that an infinity stone in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Yep, that's what they were saying in New York. <laughs> and by the late 60s, the distributor that owned both Marvel and DC told um, Stan and the boys, hey, you guys are selling so good, publish anything you fucking want. Mm. Hey. You could find- <laughs> are your spidey senses tingling or are you just happy to see me? Forget Shit. about the code. 
shit on the pages of a comic book and publish <laughs> that if you want, because you guys are selling so much shit. They surpassed DC by miles. And Marvel was selling about five million a month, uh, sixty million copies a year. Uh, what a nickel apiece! Five million copies a month, sixty million copies a year. That's crazy. That is now Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Um, these guys were the real dynamic duo, so to speak. Uh, in about a span of five to six years, Stan and Jack created some of the most successful characters and more than any other duo in the history of comics. Uh, Stan would give a plot to Jack, and Jack would kind of do what he wanted. They would constantly disagree, and that's uh, where the rift between who would get credit came from. Uh, but, you know, Stan always gave Jack co-creator credit, and Jack actually ended up quitting, but he did eventually contact Stan to come back. It's like getting back with your ex. From 61 on, the comics just boomed. Uh, Stan said that from 60 to 70 was his favorite time in the industry. Uh, although that might have changed once these um, multi-million dollar movies started <laughs> getting churned out in 08. I mean, we don't know. Like I said, this documentary was a little dated. So was his autobiography. Um, <clears throat> now, I mean, just a track record of these two. So in 61... You got Fantastic Four. 62, you got Hulk, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, Thor. 63, Iron Man, Giant Man, Doctor Strange, X-Men, The Avengers. 64, we get Daredevil. 65, Nick Fury. 66, The Silver Surfer. I mean, this guy is unstoppable. And uh, many of these stories that um, were created in this time period had a scientific basis because... With the 60s, you had the ushering in of the atomic age, the space race, um, very much a turn towards science. Mm. Um, Hulk was actually a combination of Frankenstein. Another episode to check out if you have not already. Yep. And Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He wanted to do kind of a combination of that because Stan said mm. he thought, hey, Frankenstein's not the bad guy here. No, he was not. He's just misunderstood. Oh, no. He's just a sick fuck that likes a quick fuck. (laughs) Now, Stan creating Spider-Man. He says, you know, this was his, uh, what is it called? Like a magnus opus? Mm. Is that the right term? That's a $2 word right there. (laughs) I'm not sure that that's the term. I'm I'm being honest with you. (laughs) Okay, we can't confirm or deny. Spider-Man was his big bust. Uh, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> coup de gras. His coup de gras. What are you trying to say? I mean, it wasn't his coup de gras, but it was like his big idea. Magnus Opus's masterpiece. Yeah, it was his masterpiece. This is Mona Lisa. Yeah, this is how, you know, Stan put himself into Peter. Um, he says... In the candy shop. Okay, all right, that came out wrong. <laughs> Stan, <laughs> Stan, mega pause there. Stan... Mr. Stark, I don't feel (laughs) (laughs) so. So with Spider-Man, Stan made Peter Parker a reflection of himself. Is that better? Like his personality. Don't don't cut that. (laughs) Like his personality. Stan was like, "Hey, I I want to make this guy relatable to people." Um, you know, Stan's own influence, his own thoughts, uh, why 
why we fight evil, uh, human nature, Stan's own feelings. He put this all into Spider-Man. And funnily enough, this all came about because Stan saw a fly and said, hey, that'd be a cool idea for a comic if I had a guy that could just jump on the wall like that. Um, Almost Hmm. titled Insect Man. But he started running through names. Spider-Man stuck out to him. And thus, Spider-Man was born. Um, Now, at first, as we said, Stan was the idea man. Kirby, Jack Kirby drew him first. Stan didn't really like it. Too flamboyant. Uh, He passed it on to Steve Ditko. um, And Stan liked what he did with it. Steve also wanted credit as the co-creator. So Stan gave it to him. Uh, Another offshoot of the 60s um, that came out in comic books was 60s counterculture Mm. Um, and that era you know Stan was the era that Stan was creating these characters in Um, this gave us Falcon Captain America's partner Mm -hmm. uh, Black Panther and X-Men you know X-Men was created to show how the world never really tolerates people who are different Um, I'm different and you know Iron Man basically a symbol of the military industrial complex because again in the mid to late 60s everybody hated the government they didn't trust the government what they were doing the Still mi- don't. military industrial complex um you know they they hated that so stan said hey i'm going to make a hero that is a symbol of the military industrial complex that people love uh so i pulled the old one two on him again um, you know, probably tricked a lot of youngsters out there. And Silver Surfer, basically a hippie superhero. Um, he's a surfer from the stars who preaches about love will conquer all and the inhumanity of man-to-man violence. Basically Captain Planet before Captain Planet came <laughs> But way more badass. I mean, I remember I had a Silver Surfer toy. That was one of my favorite toys. Now, I do remember that. I think Gerald and I were talking about this the other day, and we should get him on an episode one time. But I believe, and you guys can call me out on this fact check, this is Gerald, not me. Okay. Silver Surfer was supposed to be like fast enough to dodge bullets and stuff, right? No idea. Okay, well, I think that's what we were talking about. Him or Quicksilver, I can never remember. But... Apparently, that's how he dies, is getting shot by a bullet. And Oh, like in the comics? I believe. Mm. Or in a movie. I can't. I cannot remember for the life of me. Well, just like those hippies over at Kent State, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> shot by a bullet. Now, I want to see... Here's what I want to see. Because you remember Fantastic Four that came out in like 05 with Silver Surfer? Yeah. Not, so, not, so, good, so, right? not good. I want to see a modern Silver Surfer in the MCU played by either... Kelly Slater mm. or Woody Harrelson. Kelly Slater would Ooh, be good. How about Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> or Matthew McConaughey. I'd take Matthew McConaughey or Woody Harrelson. All right, all right, all right. I mean, dude, you paint him silver, spray paint him silver. I'm talking about love, brother. <laughs> yeah, he's just shredding all around. That would be badass. I need to see that. Woody Harrelson Marvel. would be pretty funny, but he's about to be carnage, dude. I know. Ooh, badass. Fuck. Okay, so Woody's out, so we got to go McConaughey. You know who would be good for that? Your boy T-Bag. One time when I was five years old doing some tiger scout. You know, oh, you spray painted yourself silver. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. one of my favorite stories. I was going to say paint yourself silver like T-Bag. I didn't know if a lot of people would get it. Well, yes, T-Bag painted himself. I did not paint myself silver. My older neighbors painted me silver, and I had to walk all the way back home in the Hawaii heat 
five miles. And take a bath in gasoline. Yes, to get the paint off of me. Now, I got uh, the poo on me. So Stan's, you know, powerhouse that he is, churning out all these great characters. Uh, and he says as he was creating these, action and adventure was always the main focus with the underlying themes being uh, morality, social issues, good and bad. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. Am I right? Classic. Your ass. Now, Stan's goal was to make, his entire goal with this whole thing was to make, um, make the comic more appreciated. I mean, make he... comics great again. Yeah, basically. Um, he was embarrassed. Maca. Back in the day, he was embarrassed. Just now, that a hat. let's not let's not get Stan in there. Compare him to Trump. I mean, he's no Trump. Well, he's out there banging whores. <laughs> now, come on. <laughs> he was dedicated to Joan for his whole life. Well, that was before the candy shop. Was, I yeah. <laughs> it was. It was well before. The, it was after the candy <laughs> shop. Uh, that was in his rear view at the time. <laughs> now, his whole goal was to make comics more appreciated. He says when he first started out. Uh, he was embarrassed, you know, like when the censorship and everything was happening, he said he was embarrassed to say that he wrote comics. Like it wasn't something that was cool. It's not what we see like uh, today. I mean, like comics are huge. It's pop culture. It's movies. Uh, famous actors are playing these characters like it wasn't like that back then. And um, he wanted to change that, um, you know, make it more respected literature, um, not just something for kids, which is where, you know, we get the morality and the social issues coming in. And in 1972, um, Stan stopped writing monthly comic books to assume the role of publisher. Uh, his final issue was The Amazing Spider-Man, number 110, July of 1972. And his last Fantastic Four was number 125 in August of 1972. Uh, however, he did do, you know, like uh, one shots and, and a few here and there. Uh, but he moved to California in 1981 to develop Marvel's TV and movie properties. Um, so Stan, he comes up with the idea and he brings it to the Marvel execs and says, Hey, hey, Marvel execs, we start a company out in L.A. I'll move out there. Hell, take the family with me. <laughs> I'll just... uh. Yeah, just move me out there. I'll start up a studio for us in L.A. I'll bite the bullet. I'll move to L.A. I know nobody wants to go there. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you're going to tie my hands behind my back and make me go, I guess I'll Twist my to. arm, I guess I'll make go. Make me leave cold New York winters and go to sunny California. Yep, so this is when Stan began to focus on the medium of TV and film. And now, I will say, uh, when you started doing this, like the animation, just like we were saying at the, at the top, um, the animation's good shit. You know, X-Men, the animated series. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Like, that was good stuff. That was classic stuff. Um, that's what we grew up on. But some of the first live-action stuff, not that good. And that's being nice. <laughs> <laughs> now... There was like some live action Spider-Man series, I guess, but uh, it, it was like too many suits, too many execs, too much red tape, that sort of thing, and it just ended up becoming god-awful. Always um, ruins everything. Yeah, I mean, some of Stan's early attempts in the film industry, 
Uh, there was a Howard the Duck film made Ooh. in '86. I mean, that was good, but that's that like was a cult. terrible. Yeah, that's like, yeah, a it's cult. like a cult classic. Uh, it was a box office flop. Uh, Marvel Entertainment Group was then purchased by New World Entertainment in November of '86, um, and they. Like back in this time, they would just buy the rights to characters. Like it wasn't like now where Disney just owns it all or like it's <laughs> all. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like they would just buy, hey, one character or lease out one character and they would only have a certain amount of time to make it. And if they didn't adhere to the contract and like make the stuff in that amount of time, boom, they lose the rights. Um, so. The Punisher was also made in 1989. Uh, pretty bad. Good year. Um, bad movie. Then Marvel Entertainment Group was sold to Ronald Perelman's Andrews Group. Uh, two other films were produced. Captain America in 1990. Which we've discussed previously. That one, so great yeah. movie. Great fucking movie. I, I highly recommend that to anyone. On YouTube. Check well, it thanks. out. Uh, it was released in the United Kingdom and uh, was direct to video in the United <laughs> States. Um, and there was also The Fantastic Four in 1994, which was never intended for release. But apparently bootleg copies are out there, and there's actually a full version on YouTube. I looked this up. Now, with this this one, it's pretty funny. It Check this out. I mean, if you haven't seen this, Fantastic Four, 1994. Um, apparently, this guy bought the rights to the Fantastic Four. He talked to Stan. Stan sold him the rights. He only had a certain amount of time, and he couldn't lock down funds. So in order to retain the rights... He just made this like bullshit budget movie on one million dollars, and it is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And he made this never intending to release it, just so that he could retain the rights, so they would like renew. I guess. I mean, I don't really know how it works. It's all pretty complicated. Go down the rabbit hole, um, but check it out. I mean, these were some of the early attempts at Marvel movies. Uh, meanwhile, DC, they're fucking killing the game. We got Batman, Superman. Superman I mean, all yeah. those Supermans in the 80s and 90s were awesome. Shout out Christopher Reeve. Um, yeah, the Tim Burton Batman. Oh, yeah. Uh, even the ones that followed were fucking badass. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yep. And um, basically, the the like whole, I guess, thought process was in the uh, 90s, if it was Marvel, it was going to fail. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? That's what they thought of Marvel movies back in the 90s. And I think this was largely just because, like, technology hadn't caught up. Mm. You know, I mean, granted, you did still have Batman and Superman working. You know, those movies were good. They made money. But all the Marvel movies seemed to fail. I how the tables have turned. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but hey, maybe they're going the other way again. They can swing at the drop of a hat. I haven't seen a good DC movie in God knows how long. Maybe Aquaman will change. <laughs> 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 Am I right? Or Shazam. Shazam. Now. That one does look good. Okay, so Lee was briefly president of the entire company, but soon stepped down to become publisher instead. Um, he said being president was too much about numbers and finance, not enough about the creative process. He's not a math guy. He's just like me. I get it. <laughs> now, uh, he stepped away from the regu his regular duties at Marvel in the 90s. Um, though <laughs> What's he so funny? 
I was going to say this guy in math class. The only math he ever discovered was two boobs. <laughs> so Lee stepped away from his regular duties at Marvel in the 90s, uh, though he continued to receive an annual salary of $1 million as chairman... Excelsior! As chairman... So, hey, guys, I'm going to go ahead and take a back seat to this. Just uh, toss me that cool mill every year. <laughs> cool one million. You won't be seeing the old Stan around yeah. here anymore. <laughs> uh, now, in 1998... Uh, so this is where, like, I kind of... So, okay, yeah. Stan's cooling out, collecting his mill. This is where he kind of drops... I mean, yeah... He still was a figurehead of Marvel. He was known as the creator of all these things, but his work at this time is pretty much done. I, I mean, mean, he's the guy's like seventy at this yeah, point, right? Yeah, exactly. Jesus. I mean, he's not retired. He still does a lot of work and did a lot of work in his life. But as we know, like creating these characters, like all that sort of thing, um, this is where he kind of takes a backseat to that to try to get in. He's still trying to get this entertainment stuff rolling. He wants to get his creations into other mediums. He really wants this film stuff to pan out. Um, and in 98, he and Peter Paul... And Mary. ...began a new internet-based superhero creation and marketing studio, Stan Lee Media. Uh, this got... You know, he had over 200 employees. Uh, they went public through a reverse merger structured by investment banker Stan Medley in 99... And near the end of 2000, investors discovered illegal stock manipulation by Paul and corporate officer Stephen Gordon. Um, Stanley Media filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in February of 2001. Paul was extradited to the U.S. from Brazil and pleaded guilty to violating the SEC rule 10B5 in connection with trading of his stock in Stanley Media. Um, Lee was never implicated in this scheme, so he was kind of taken advantage of. Mm. Um, this was another hit for Stan. So this guy just skimming off the top goes down to Brazil. Yeah, kind of just tried to pull one over, um, doing some insider training. Real Wolf of Wall Street stuff here. Real Jordan Belfort scheme. Had to soak um, in some of those beautiful Brazilian booties before he went away. <laughs> yep. Um, had to see those landing strips for himself. And... <laughs> You know, again, I mean, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Stan, he just wanted to see his 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 comic creations come to life on the big screen, and he gets taken advantage of by this fucking Paul guy, you know? And uh, in 2001, Stan and Gil Champion and Arthur Lieberman... None of those names sound real. ...formed POW, Purveyors of Pow! Wonder. <laughs> POW Entertainment to develop film television, and video game properties. And this is around the same time, uh, a little side note, where Stan actually created an animated superhero series, Stripperella, for Spike TV. Didn't you remember comic that books as a kid. Uh, yeah, she was going to the candy store with Stan. <laughs> Do you remember that at all, though? No. Stri well, I, I mean, Spike TV. No, Spike TV, I remember. It's still around. Yeah. What's it called, though? It's owned by the Paramount Network. It's uh, Channel 2. 628 in Canada. Well, is it still like shows uh, like, uh, what's the quickest way to get rid of your boner? Cut your dick off. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd bleed out, so don't do it, dude. It's, I imagine. It's uh, all about boobs and beer. They put, they have Ink Master, Bar Rescue, Bellator, Cops, 
And Ink Master Angels are their series they have right now. So it's not... Uh, it's definitely not Fort Yeah, it's not like that. Anymore. Wasn't a man show on there? It probably was. 2001. I think that was Comedy Central. Okay. Well, so anyways, um, Stan made Stripperella for Spike TV, which is like a stripper superhero, just, again, for dudes. Like... It's basically manga or like Japanese anime porn, like Chris watches. <laughs> Shout out to Chris. Um, um, you know, you know. Just to hop back onto the uh, purveyors of wonder, or pow, pow. Before we hop into this next segment, uh, before he passed away, I believe, and uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but he actually had a one billion dollar lawsuit suing his partners in pow. Mm. Yeah, he had a lot of. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is the age when constantly he got, getting fucked over. Yeah, when he got his one million a year, he got got cool meal. When he got his one mil a year to do nothing and chill out, basically, just you know, do some lectures, show up at Comic Con. Um, this is when all the lawsuits started happening. Haters, dude. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. When comics were, like we said, he was embarrassed to say what he did. Like, comics, they never thought it was going to be some huge rights dispute legal thing. And so they would pay people, like, they paid writers just by one issue. Hey, I'll give you this many dollars for X amount of words in your comic book. Um, they, and you know, there was no, like, character rights disputes. There was nothing like that. It was just, hey, you made this comic, you sold this amount here's this much money you know it wasn't like uh and a lot of it was freelance so writers for dc were also doing stuff with marvel double dipping yeah you know it wasn't like it is now where everything has to like you know i mean how long did it take him to get all the rights with sony and disney and marvel and everything worked out uh fucking years you know and so it wasn't like that, but I will say I do want to see Stripperella as part of the MCU. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Am I right? Now, again, lawsuit after lawsuit. So, you know, in the early 2000s, this is when we start getting the X-Men films, the Spider-Man films, like the whole Sony universe, still before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so this is a whole different thing. And following the success of Fox Studios' X-Men in 2000 and Sony's current Spider-Man, Stan sued Marvel in 2002, claiming that the company was failing to pay his share of the profits from the movies, featuring the characters that he himself had co-created. Now, because, again, very convoluted, very fucking... A lot of ins, a lot of outs in this industry. Fuck this industry. Bitch, he's in these streets. A lot of ins um, and outs. And because he had done this as an employee, Stan did not own the rights. Mm. Uh, so I guess it was like Stan saying, hey, I created these things. But they're saying, hey, you were an employee of Marvel. You didn't own it. So you technically don't own these characters you created. And also... In the mid-90s, Marvel as a company was on the verge of bankruptcy because Marvel itself wasn't worth anything. The characters the characters are what was worth money, you know? Mm. And um, by the 90s, after decades of making little money, um, licensing characters for television and film, Marvel promised um, Stan 10% of any future profits. Um, but... Lee and the company apparently settled in 2005 out of court for an undisclosed 
seven figure amount. And that's actually a little true, a little false, because I got more info on that okay. right here. So this right. is a little, um, what do you call it? What do you call like uh, gossip? I heard this. I heard that. It's a fresh take. Oh, okay. We got a fresh take from our lawyer, Rob. Uh, he's done some investigating on this. All right. So this little tidbit is coming straight out the New York Times. So who knows how, uh, you know, on the point it is, but <laughs> I'm rolling with it. <laughs> on the point. Okay. It's by my boy, Nat Ives, published in 2005. It says... Marvel Enterprises said yesterday that it has settled a legal battle with Stan Lee, the chairman emeritus and co-creator of Marvel characters such as Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. Mr. Lee has said to have sued the company in 2002, arguing that it had failed to honor a contract promising 10% of profits from television and film production such as Spider-Man, X-Men, The Incredible Hulk, and as well as related merchandise. So basically, I think Marvel paid him 10 mil on that for Incredible Hulk, X-Men, Spider-Man. That was what the controversy was about. So they just gave him 10 mil to shut the fuck up? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so there you go. Stan, they're paying him off seven figures. I don't know if 10 mil is enough for what he created. Well, apparently it was enough for him. Tobey Maguire probably made more than that in the damn movie. (laughs) And he got to kiss Kirsten Dunst. I'm playing Toby McGuire's little brother. <laughs> so uh, also in March 2007, after Stanley Media had been purchased by Jim Nesfield, the company filed for a lawsuit against Marvel Entertainment for $5 billion, claiming that Stan had given his rights to several Marvel characters to Stanley Media in exchange for stock and salary. So again... You know, this is just rights going everywhere. Like, Stanley Media is basically suing Stanley mm. uh, because they're saying, "Hey, you gave us these characters. We gave you stock. We gave you salary. You now get the fuck out of here." I mean, I'm sure that was ongoing uh, by the time he died. I didn't see uh, anything as a resolve to that one. Uh, now, all the lawsuits aside. Um, Stan still created these insane characters that we've come to know and love. Um, in 2008, we obviously get Iron Man, um, which launched the entire MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and according to data from Box Office Mojo, uh, the movies alone have grossed $13.9 billion worldwide. Now, I know that's a big number, but to me that seems like a small number. Thirteen point nine just, billion I seems like, like a it, small number. Yeah, I just feel like it would gross more than that. Worldwide? Well, yeah, worldwide. Thirteen point nine billion. Now that's to date, so I think that's before um because the the um box office mojo thing I was looking at, I don't think they had Infinity War yet. Oh, okay. Well, so add another what, seven billion onto that? You think so? Twenty all right, see twenty billion sounds big. I don't know. So Stan as we know, he had cameos in almost all of these movies, um, even in the Sony movies. Now, this I actually thought was hilarious. Sony Pictures actually had the chance to buy the theatrical rights to almost all of Marvel characters for $25 million in 1998. Uh, and considering Disney paid $4 billion to acquire Marvel in 2008, that's a fucking steal. <laughs> uh, and Sony turned down Marvel's offer. 
And according to an excerpt from Ben Fritz's book, The Big Picture, The Fight for the Future of Movies, Sony exec said, and we quote, Nobody gives a shit about any of the other Marvel characters. Go back and do a deal for only (laughs) Spider-Man. So so Sony kind of fucked themselves out of that way. I mean, can you just imagine this guy now? Oh, I mean, look at what, well, you guys saw Venom. You said it wasn't very good, right? I mean, it was okay. It was up there. I've definitely seen worse Marvel movies. I liked it. I think everyone just kind of gave it a bad rap because it had a lot more uh, comedic value than I feel like. I yeah, feel they like made the guy. They made it more funny than in the well, comics. Yeah, yeah, but should. they made his character um, more funny. Mm. You know, played by Tom Hardy. Was it better than when Topher Grace did it? I think so, but some okay. people said no. Mm. Uh, but no, I mean, just imagine this guy. Just go get me Spider-Man. <laughs> Something like uh, JR, man. I don't care about anybody else. I just want Spider-Man. <laughs> that's, all Spider-Man. An, that's all anybody cares about, Spider-Man. I mean, obviously those movies are huge. But no, like you were saying, the um, Venom catching a bad rap, I think that also plays into, like I was saying, um, Coup de Gras, Infinity War. I mm. mean, 10 years of movies leading up to that, and then like to follow that by anything is going to be hard. That's so, of true. course, like that, what, Venom and um, what's the other one? Ant Man and the Wasp? Oh. Like both of those, like apparently people were saying, like, hey, not that great. I yeah. mean, I, I liked both of them. I didn't care that I paid to go see them, but, you know, it's not all going to be Infinity War. That's what these nerds out here don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the man made it because not only did he make an appearance on The Simpsons, also made an appearance on The Big Bang Theory. So that's what you measure this guy's whole dossier of work <laughs> off of. <laughs> he made it into pop culture. Well, he did. He all, he made pop that's culture, true. arguably, you could say. I agree. Um, I mean, I think given what the man Stan has given us, I feel like he got shit on for like the later part of his life. Just by people trying to get rich off of what he did, which is kind of fucked up. Because mm. you think about it, like the whole end of his life was like he was in and out of lawsuits with all these motherfuckers just trying to take, basically bend him over a fucking barrel. Like and he's those, the one in the candy shop. And, <laughs> and those are all from movies that had come out in like the 2000s, like mm. early 2000s and 90s. Um, so, you know, he was going through all those lawsuits then. But I mean, the guy still got paid regardless. And. Not too bad from a guy who just, hey, got the job from a family friend, uh, you know. Hey, you want this guy like that? <laughs> yeah, and fell into this editor position. Hey, that just goes to show that you don't always have to be the best guy at your job. You just have to be better than the other guys. Or care about what you're doing. Well, I don't know if he really did. <laughs> it sounds like the other guy just kind of sucked, and they like <laughs> fired him, and then they're like, oh, well, here's a guy that's here, so... Well, no, but I shit. think he genuinely, like I said, like he wanted to, he saw all these stupid cookie cutter superheroes and was like, hey, I want to do something different. I want to make them appeal to audiences. I want to make them appeal to the readers. I want to make comics respected. I want to put myself in Peter. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, now, earlier this year, guys, um, Stan had stated that he had been battling pneumonia. Mm. And on November 12th, 2018, after being rushed to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California, 
Stan Lee died at the age of 95 due to cardiac arrest with respiratory failure and congestive heart failure as underlying causes. Almost a month ago, boys. So pour one out for the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, the great Stan Lee. Excelsior. Um, Excelsior forever. Uh, And overall, at the time of his death, net worth of 50 million. Hey, drink them if you got them, smoke them if you got them. Hey, drink them if you got them, smoke them if you got them. Um, This one was for Stan. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you all learned something. I did. We what all did, did we learn? I'm Go to the candy Go shop. Go to the candy shop. <laughs> That's got to be the ender. Don't remember any names. <laughs> Just go in and get what you came for. There you have it, guys. Life and times of Stan Lee. I'd say the m- most famous, most known um, figure in the comic industry, mm. right? Arguably. 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 Speaking of, Comic-Con tickets are already completely sold out for this year. Yep. I heard that. So, um, sneak us some passes. Stay safe, guys. Got some other great episodes planned for you guys coming up. Um, hope we might you do one next week. Oh. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe this will start being a bi monthly podcast. Uh, <laughs> God, just, damn it. No, it's not. It's just dependent on uh, when we can all get together, put something together that's worth recording. Put something on our pipe and smoke it. Yep, and um, in turn, give you guys something to put in your pipes and smoke. Shout out to our followers on Instagram. Speaking of, we hit 420 today. Yep, and thank you to all the followers out there. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to um, subscribe on iTunes and Five Star Review. And as always, you know, we're on Instagram, Podcast from Outer Space. Uh, give us a follow if you haven't already. Feel free to slide in those DMs with any questions concerns compliments comments anything you might want to hear maybe you want to correct us on something we may be fucked up on or maybe you just want to say hey guys love the podcast either way you can do it on there or you can hit us up on podcast from outer space at gmail.com and as always thanks for listening guys and ladies be looking out for your single tea bag <laughs> get ready to take a visit to the candy shop <laughs> Take a cruise with the tea bag. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs>